Well, like I said, I'm Courtney, and I'm just so, so glad you're here. And I thought that first we could start, and I could just tell you a little bit about myself, because, I mean, we're going to talk about sex, so you should probably know a few things about me. We should get to know each other. So I put that up here. And I made a cute PowerPoint, because also we're talking about sex, so hopefully it's cute. Um, <laughs> so this is me. I am 27. I'm single. I have two roommates. They're up here on the right. Um, Brandy on the left and Catherine on the right. I've lived with Catherine for five years and Brandy for four. So it's kind of been a really sweet thing. I feel like a lot of times you get a lot of turnover in roommates, but I've had the blessing of just having that consistency and I love them a lot. These are my friends. Uh, we have a Christmas party every year where we bring like, well, some people bring dumb gifts and some people bring fun gifts and we do like a $20 like secret Santa exchange. And you guys might recognize James. He's in the front with the collar, like the striped shirt, but he was like an intern here for a long time. So you might recognize him, but he is just like a party, and when you're with him, you're part of the party. So, really fun. Um, this is where I work. I work at Rock Creek Fellowship, so it's in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, we were just talking about this on the front row. Kind of in Chattanooga. It's on Lookout Mountain on the back of Lookout Mountain, and it's in a barn. That's our thing. So, <laughs> uh, so it's a barn church up on the left, and um, it used to be like an old furniture store, and then they like kind of made it into... A church is kind of a cool thing it was given to us and it's a really sweet like beautiful big piece of property and this is us at youth group we do like a meal on Sunday nights together at youth group and that's just kind of us and so hi no problem um so I just thought it'd be kind of fun to see a little bit of my world I went to Covenant College which is also on Lookout Mountain yes and um I transferred there my junior and senior year but my first two years of college. I lived at home and I did youth ministry at my church. So I've been doing some sort of youth ministry since I graduated from high school. So kind of a long time. But I've been at Rock Creek for seven years. Um, these are my high school girls. They came to the elective last time and I think they were totally embarrassed that I put these pictures up there. Um, <laughs> these are some girls on my couch, which I just like, so I am over, I'm the youth director at Rock Creek and I oversee the youth ministry there, but we've kind of divided our youth group into middle and high school guys and girls each. So I oversee like specifically the high school girls, which is my favorite part of my job. I love it. And I love them and I love getting to walk through life with them. And so <laughs> this was them on Halloween dressed up. Yes, she's wearing a full on bacon suit, which I didn't even know was a thing, but it's <laughs> awesome. Um, and like us, just I just like love that. And so it felt even like more special to me to get to do this class with you guys because I just love that stage of life. Like I love high school girls, and I think it's just really fun and sweet, so I'm glad to be here. Um, we have some chairs up here. Do y'all want some? Do you want to be part of that? We can shuffle them back. Brief intermission. Sorry, everyone. Oh, yeah, there's a chairs here. Oh, does everyone want to scoot in, maybe? That seems more. I'll leave these here. Brief intermission. Sorry. Um, yeah, and if y'all want to just shuffle in, you can. Um, yeah, so... These are the high school girls. Uh, this is the real tea. This is my boyfriend. Yeah. Um, this is Todd. Chattanooga is the home of the International Towing Museum. I don't know if you knew that about Chattanooga, but it is. And if you pass by it, there's nobody in the parking lot. Apparently nobody wants to go, but I have always wanted to go. And so Todd took me to the International Towing Museum and I think he was a little bit alarmed by how excited I was to be there, but we made it through. So here we are. And then this is me at graduation. So part of, I've been at Rock Creek for seven years, but I also three years ago went back to school 
I hope it was a good decision. And I went back to school for counseling. So I just got my master's in counseling and clinical mental health counseling. And so for the last year, I was at Covenant actually in their pre-school center as part of my internship. And so I met with college students, um, which was just really fun because they're just a little bit past you guys. And so it was just kind of fun how that worked with youth ministry too. But so I was a counselor there and then I also did a grief group on Tuesday morning. So people with like really um, unanticipated grief. And so I just got to do that for the last year. And in the fall, I will, um, in addition to staying at Rock Creek, I'll be working at a private practice with adolescent girls. So it's kind of, you guys are my wheelhouse. I really love adolescent girls and I just feel really, really honored to be here. So, um, so there's all that. So why talk about our sexuality? Um, one thing I did want to mention, I didn't mention in the last class, these are the two books that I really used and loved. Um, Faithful, which is a theology of sex, and Real Sex by Lauren Winner. Um, anyway, just so that, like, not all of it, I mean, none of this is, like, my original idea, but I just picked and pulled a lot of things, and these are two books that I'll be drawing a lot from this week. Um, so why talk about sexuality? It's a good question. Um, I, well, <laughs> truthfully, I gave a, a few topics when they asked me to teach a class, and this was one of them, and I was like, I hope they don't pick that one. That one sounds really hard. <laughs> then they picked this one. <laughs> I think it's the Lord, <laughs> but um, because this is, it feels like a minefield in our culture right now. It feels like I'm going to walk around and maybe stand, step on a landmine and just blow, blow myself up and everything around me. Um, and our pastor says right now, our culture feels like sharks in the water looking for blood, which can be relative. Hopefully we encounter no sharks this week. Um, but it feels like that a little bit. Like it feels really edgy and it feels really like hard and it feels hard to like say the, what the Bible might be teaching about sexuality. But I think what I also wanted when I thought about doing this topic was that I hope to put this conversation on the table. And I hope that it's a conversation that you can engage with and that I will not be able to say everything that there is to say about sexuality and for 45 minute classes, like that's just not a goal that we can achieve, but I hope it starts a conversation and I hope it sparks something with your friends and I hope it sparks something with your youth leaders and people that you really trust and love. And I hope that you'll engage in this conversation because I think it's worth it. Um, I covenant, so kind of on the first day of counseling, we do this intake and we get everybody's information. And one part of the form that we get is, our, is their sexual history. And so we'll ask like, is there ever been any history, like what's your dating history been like? How did you learn about sex? Um, what, what has it been like physically for you? Has there been any history of pornography, masturbation, same-sex attraction? Like just trying to get a gauge of what their sexual history is. And it really, I felt so honored by how many people shared with me, but also they hadn't really ever talked about it before that moment. <laughs> and if they had often like, we'll talk about this tomorrow, but even with pornography or masturbation, it's like, well, if, if I ever heard my youth group talk about it, it was a male issue. And like, it's not. It's a male and a female issue. And so like, we're going to engage in a hard conversation because it's worth it and because it's worth talking about. And I, I am excited to like be in this journey with you. Um, so there one question I think that we will ask this week is, what if sex is not about a list of rules? What if it's not a set of do's and don'ts, but what if sex isn't most of all about us? What if it is about what God is up to? 
in the world? So hopefully we'll answer that question. So assumptions before we get, I like to prereq everything. I like to just like talk about everything before we talk about things. So again, the verbal processor in me. Um, so it's a couple assumptions before we begin. I don't know your stories. Like I, I don't know where you're coming from and it feels a little funny to me. I'm such a like one-on-one -on -one person. It feels a little funny for, for me to like kind of have this distance of like standing up here and teaching. Like I wish I knew your stories and had conversations with you, but I don't know what your struggles are in sexuality. I do know that all of our sexuality is broken, each one of us, and so not one of us is above the other. And there's no ways that we can avoid that brokenness, and we'll talk about that some this week. But I don't know if you're struggling in a relationship, like if you're in a relationship and you're not really sure where to hold the boundaries or how to set boundaries. I don't know if you are struggling with same-sex attraction you've never told anyone or you have and they responded terribly or you haven't. It's been good, but it's still this hard thing that you're wrestling through. I don't know if it's pornography or masturbation or just your thoughts or I don't know where you're coming from, but I want to acknowledge I don't know if any, something has happened to you that you never asked to happen to you. Like, I just don't know your stories, but I want you to know that I'm really, really glad you're here. <laughs> and I hope that this talk leads you to encounter the God that really, really loves you a whole lot. And I'm a crier, and I'm going to try not to be one this week. <laughs> but I am, so I hope that it's, like, terrible, and I have no shame about crying in public, and I wish I had a little. Um, <laughs> But I hope that you encounter the God who loves you desperately and deeply and who gave his life for you. And I hope that's the thing you take away from this week. I think when we talk about sexuality, inevitably we all have this shame that we carry with it, this deep inward sense of I'm bad or I'm wrong or I did something wrong. And um, shame is different than guilt, right? Like guilt is like uh, you get a speeding ticket, which I have, and whatever. Here we are. Um, but you get a speeding ticket you go to the court. They say guilt happens in a courtroom. You go to the courtroom. You pay the fine. Like, then hopefully your behavior changes and you adapt. And in a Christian context, that looks like Lord's convicted me of something, and I go to him in repentance. Like, and I encountered this good, good father. And shame is this thing that's like, I am bad. I did something bad, and if anybody knew this about me, they wouldn't want to be in a relationship with me. And I can't tell anybody. And it's hiding, and it leads to hiding, and we'll, we will look at that this week, too. But I hope that if the Lord brings you to guilt, I hope you encounter the good, good Father that he is. And if he brings shame, I hope he dispenses that, and you encounter him, too, in that way. So, now that I've said all of that. Um, one thing that I want to harp on this week is that we cannot get our sex right and our sexuality right in order to get our relationship with God right. That's just not how it works. It's not the gospel. And so he gets our relationship with him right, and he, he gets us right. Like, he moves us. He changes us, and he transforms us. And so it's the other way around, and I think we've mixed that up sometimes. And so we're going to unpack that, but I want us to just know that is the underlying theme. Like, when we're talking about this, you can't do enough good to get to God. <laughs> like, you just can't. Um, but in his goodness, he comes to us. So um, where are we headed this week, now that I've said all of that? So this is kind of our timeline this week, um, kind of where we'll be heading for each day. So today, we're going to talk about sex as a created good. It is good, and God created it, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, 
I'm kind of putting this in the biblical story of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Classic, right? Um, we're going to talk about sex gone wrong, all the ways that it's gone wrong tomorrow and what that looks like in the fall and how, it, how it's been broken and the different ways we can see that. Then we're going to look at sex and di- desire as redeemed because if God created it, it's his good thing and he's going to redeem it. And then we're going to talk about radical faithfulness redeemed, like this faithfulness that God has towards us. And what, how do we live now that it's been redeemed and like we're in this middle of like resurrection and waiting for Jesus to come again? How do we live in that tension as followers of Jesus? So that's kind of where we're headed in theory. So um, this is our theme passage this week. <laughs> you can probably tell that I'm a talker. I, uh, it was hard for me to narrow all this down. And so this is the passage that really just felt like encompassed all the things that I was hoping that we could kind of learn in here this week. So I'm going to read this passage. We're going to kind of unpack it. We're going to read it every day. And then we're going to kind of unpack certain sections of it. Um, so I'll read it now. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So this is first Corinthians six thirteen through 20. If you need that in your life. Okay. Um, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the member of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So Paul is kind of writing to this church in Corinth, like that's kind of the thing here. He's writing this church in Corinth. We're going to talk about it a little bit, but kind of what's going on in Corinth? Why is Paul saying this? Why is he talking towards them? Um, Just a little bit of background. This is a a temple, I think. Like, I looked up a temple of Corinth, and this is like the Aphrodite temple, but it was a chief city of Greece, like both commercially and politically. They're kind of on, if everything happened by boats and trades, they're on the coast, and so just like a booming city, and uh, it made me think of like the Hunger Games, you know? (laughs) Yeah, if you can get that reference, but it felt like that... um, that kind of city, like they were just like everything. And they had at least 12 temples and the most famous was Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And so this temple, they had over a thousand prostitutes there. And it was just, Corinth was just known for its sexual immorality. They even said, I was looking up something that said they used like a term to Corinthicize, which just meant to practice sexual immorality. And so it just was known for its sexual immorality. And so Paul is like talking against that. And he's, he's, like, giving them a new biblical understanding of what God has to say about sexuality. Um, so kind of the part that we're going to look at today is this idea that Paul says, like, shall I then take the member of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. So Paul is pulling out this, like, it is said two will become one flesh. So there seems to be some background knowledge here that he's pointing to of God's intentions for, for sexuality that help what he's trying to tell them now. This passage is a little, I meant to say this earlier, it's a little black and white. Like, it's a little, like, do, 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 like do this. 
or it feels that way to me. And I'm hoping by this week, as putting it in this context of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, it becomes like technicolor. We take the black and white and we put it into technicolor and really understand the heartbeat of what Paul is trying to tell both the Corinthian church and us. Um, so we are going to talk about this two will become one flesh. What was God's original design for our sexuality? What, what is sort of happening there? Um, <coughs> he's pointing, when he says this, he's pointing back to the garden. I was saying in the earlier class, like, I'm very familiar with Genesis, and mostly because around every January I start a Bible reading plan. Are any of you with me? Um, and I start a Bible reading plan. It always starts in Genesis. I usually make it to around February. One time I made it to March or April. Here we are. And so I'm always, like, very, very familiar with Genesis. And so um, I just think that's, like, funny to think about, like, always starting back in Genesis. But he is pointing them back to, like, for the two, like, the two will become one flesh. Like, he said, it is said. So he's pointing them back to the garden, back to where it all started. Um, when they, like, teach bankers to identify counterfeit money, they'll teach them, they actually have them study the original design. They study, like, actual American dollar bills so that they can easily identify the fake. So they, instead of studying what the fake is, they know the original so well and they've looked over it so well that they can easily identify the fake. And so that's kind of what we're going to do today. Like we are going to study the original. And so that when we talk about it tomorrow, all the ways that sex have gone wrong, we know the original. We know God's original intent and we can, we can identify all the counterfeit ways that we've gotten sexuality wrong. So that's where we're heading today. We're going to talk about the original design of our sexuality. Um, so it starts in the garden in Genesis 1. The first chapter identifies God as the creator of everything. And I'm sure, like, I'm hoping y'all are all familiar with this Genesis story of creation where God is saying, like, he's created all that is. Like, and he does it in these, this six-day pattern. And so the first five days, he's, like, he's specific about everything. And, like, he made waters, plants, animals, all that we could see, and he calls it good at the end. He's like, and it was very good. And then there's evening and there's morning. And, like, that's the pattern we see in Genesis. And so when the Bible uses the word good, it really means business. Like, um, it's the same word that refers to the God of the universe. He is good, and he views all of his creation as good. So we're talking about the reality. The goodness of creation is real because the God who created it is real. Um, I told this story earlier, too, in the first class because, well, one, it's just one of my favorite stories to tell, and so if I can fit it in, I try to. But so I am in youth ministry in Chattanooga, and we, um, we're on the back of Lookout, and so we have a lot of people in the city, but we also have a lot of people, like, in the country, too. And so one of my students goes to a school called Ridgeland High School, and it's a pretty country school, and they had a chorus concert, and... It was a Christmas chorus concert, really, really sweet. And I'd gone to see it, and all of the lights were dim in the auditorium, and they had just finished singing. Like, they had sang, like, maybe six or seven songs. They had just finished singing, like, Silent Night, I think. Really beautiful, very sweet. In the front, like, is a Christmas tree and some, like, Christmas lights. And so it's this really, like, serene moment. And they just finished singing. It's dead quiet in the auditorium. And there's this guy... He's like three rows behind me, and he just yells out in the dead quiet. He goes, awesome. <laughs> and he just like, and I say that with my youth group all the time, like, awesome. <laughs> and he just said it like 
so quiet, so loud, everybody could hear him, and I, I mean, I lost it immediately. But I just think of, I think about that, like, looking, like, that's such a silly picture, right? But, like, looking over creation, and God's just like, that is good. Like, that is so good. And um, so we see this pattern up until this point, good, good, good. And so now we see that God's created humans. So we're looking at Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. So we see this pattern of good, good, good. And then God creates humans, and he says, and it was very good. And I think that's supposed to point us to the fact that this creation that he's created, these humans are the pinnacle of his creation, and they are very, very good. Um, And so what does God say about humans in this passage? He says that they are made in the image of God. They're made in his image. He's made them specifically. They're male and female, so they're different. There's different genders. They're engendered. They're embodied. They have actual bodies, and they're physical, and he's made them. Um, And they're given purpose and meaning. They're given dominion and fruitfulness. They're given things to do. So we're going to unpack a few of these things here, and we're, we're kind of pointing to what God says about our sexuality, and we're going to see all of this kind of unpacked here. One thing is that our bodies matter, and they're good. And I know that sounds really simple for us to say, like, our bodies matter and they're good, but I don't know that we all believe this, that we all buy into this idea that God has embodied us and that they're good. Um, so there's this, like, kind of this heretical tradition called Gnosticism, and they denied, like, the goodness of God's creation. They divided the world in two, and so it's very spiritual and material, very, like, body and soul, and sometimes they even, like, warred them against each other. Like, the, the spiritual is good, but the material is bad, and, like, the soul is good, but the body is bad. Um, they thought that material things, including our bodies and sex included in that, was something nasty something degraded and the Christian church is like real like recognize these teachings as false but we still have a hard time imagining I think that our bodies are good and that they're created and it's kind of infected and seeped into the way that we view things and I'll we're going to talk about that in a little bit but this is a quote I pulled from one of these books but it says Christians like the Gnostics have sometimes had a hard time imagining what it could be to be both sexual and redeemed And so we've really often said, like, our sexuality is bad. Sexuality is bad. It's rejected. We shouldn't feel desire. And and I think a lot of it comes out of this Gnostic tradition that we felt. So there's two pitfalls to Gnosticism that we see. We will unpack these tomorrow and on Thursday. Um, So one would be the hookup culture. Do any of you guys watch New Girl? (laughs) 
uh, New Girl or Friends or anything like that, any of those like, kind of sitcoms, it creates like my bodies, our bodies don't matter. We can do whatever we want with them. New Girl's kind of like, I love New Girl. I love watching it. But it also like if you start looking at it with this lens, you start seeing that it's like, I can just have sex with whoever I want. It doesn't matter. Like I'll meet this guy and have sex with them or do this. Or, and we just treat our bodies like they don't matter. And this is like the hookup culture, which the we are going to really unpack that tomorrow, what kind of that looks like in our culture. But it's a pitfall of this. Like if my body doesn't matter, then I can just do whatever I want with it. Another pitfall of this is hating our bodies. So we view our bodies as bad, and we deny God's good creation of our bodies. Um, like, as girls, I think we can all relate to this. We look in the mirror, and we hate certain parts of our bodies, and we hate that God's created them. We hate certain things about them. Um, we can even see this in the, like, no, I shouldn't have desires. I shouldn't like anybody. I shouldn't want to get married. I shouldn't. We have this this idea that when we do get married, like a pitfall of that would be getting married and on your wedding night, which I mean, I'm 27, I'm not married, but I have friends who have on their wedding night have felt so guilty, like they're doing something wrong. And that would be a pitfall of this. Like God has created our bodies and they are good. And so we're going to keep kind of unpacking that. Um, He has created them male and female. So Y'all, like, we will unpack the fall tomorrow. Everything is distorted because of our sinful nature. It just is. There's nothing that's untouched by the fall. Um, And this gets distorted in our sinful nature. Um, We have these, like, weird social constructs of gender. Like, um, girls can't like tools or building things, and guys can't be gentle. Or, you know, you know all these things that we get stuck in, and there's boxes that we put in people in. And, um... And that's not what God is talking about. Those are social contracts of gender. But God is saying that he made male and female with distinctions. Like they are created goods. And male bodies are good and female bodies are good. And God loves them. And he made them different. And they have unique, non-interchangeable glories. So they're not the same. They're different. They're the same in that they're human and they're different that they're engendered. They're male and female. And God made us as good, embodied, sexually differentiated creatures. And that goodness includes maleness and femaleness. And we're going to keep unpacking that, too. We're just going to unpack all the things this week. Um, God had dominion and fruitfulness. So um, God gives us work to do. He doesn't just say, like, hey, here's a cool garden, some stuff, like, just hang out do whatever he's like no name the animals you're gonna have to work and do stuff and i want you to like fill the earth and subdue it and i want you to multiply i want you to make other image bearers through like procreation um and i like i think about this in chronicles of narnia right like the sons of daughter and adam to eve like the four lucy and you know i'm talking about the um (laughs) they're like all escaping me now but the four children they are like, Aslan is like, he's ruling, he's lying, he's big, like he is ruling, but he's given them work to do. And so they are the queens and kings of Narnia. And so that's kind of a good picture of like, God has said like, hey, you're my little vice regents and I'm giving you this place to rule and to have dominion and subdue it, like to bear fruitfulness. Um, and God declares them as very good. So we have to remember he has made humans, they're his creation, and they're very good. So... Then we look at Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Then the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. 
Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a sleep, deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So we were hearing this good, good, good. God creates humans on the sixth day, and it's very good. And then in Genesis 2, we hear, and it is not good. And that's supposed to beckon our attention. Like, it's supposed to say, wait, it's all been good up to this point, and it's not good. Um, The Lord says it's not good for the man to be alone. And it must mean, so what does that mean? Like, why, like, I was thinking about this, like, God, like Adam has this perfect relationship with God, more perfect than any of, that, any of us have ever experienced. He's in the garden. God apparently is walking around in the garden, like, he's got this intimate relationship with him. He has all these cool animals he just named, and he's, like, got this cool garden. Like, it just seems like a really sweet setup, and, but God says, hey, it's not good for him to be alone. And so what does that mean? Well, I think that it means that We're not only created to be in relationship with God, but we're also created to be in relationship with other people. And God made us other people to be in relationship with him, with each other. God made us out of his Trinitarian God, this like perfect relationship for relationship with each other. And so it wasn't good for Adam to not have someone to be in relationship with. Um. So God solves this not good. He says it's not good for man to be alone, and he solves this not good. Um, God makes another human for Adam, that Adam can share his life with, another embodied human that is like him. They're, they, both they share humanity, but is different. She's a woman. And Adam, like, starts singing this love song, which, okay, so, like, I think we should just, like, sit here and picture it for a minute. <laughs> Adam is totally naked. <laughs> Eve, totally naked. God, right there. <laughs> and... <laughs> And he's like, sees her, and he like sings this love song in delight over her. He's like, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Like, I'm gonna call you woman because you're made out of a man. Like, he is delighting in her in front of God, and it is not awkward. It sounds very awkward to me. And that is how the Bible starts. Like, we are only in chapter two. And so, this, there's something good about this that God has created for man and woman to be together. There's something good about it. Um, he talks about this becoming one flesh. Like they historically Christianity has assumed that marriage and sex bring together united in one flesh two sexually differentiated bodies. So a man and a woman come together in one flesh. Reproductive biology, well I'm not going to get into the the weeds about that. Um, it's a created good. God created it and it is good. And when those bodies come together in the one flesh union of marriage, they're united in delight and partnership. Because God created us male and female, a man, they, it says, a man leaves his father and his mother, clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. Um, and this affirms that male and female should be united in marriage. There's this unity and diversity, and it's such a sweet picture of our unity and diversity with God. 
in that like they're the same in their human they're different in that they're male and female and the same for God with us right like he unites us to him but we're very different we're humans and he's God you know and it's that picture of that union we have with him and we're going to flesh that out too um the act of sex becomes this sacrament it's a outward sign of an inward reality and so it becomes this like they're totally naked they're united in the sexual act and that is a sign of how all like when you are united in that way you're so vulnerable you're so intimate and you're saying that what i'm doing in this act i'm doing with my whole life all of me is you is for you all of me is like for all of you and we are one and so we're gonna we are gonna unpack that too but this is a covenant good it's a sign of a covenant and a promise like i'm going to only choose you and forsake all others and one thing, like if I was going to sum up what we're going to learn this week, is that sex is a covenant good. It's not a consumer good. And so we're going to keep kind of unpacking that. Um, again, apparently I like talking about how naked they are. They are naked and unashamed. Like naked, sexually differentiated bodies are God's good gift. And just imagine like, the situation in which you're naked and unashamed. I, don't, I, was, I did not plan on telling this in an earlier one. I'm going to tell you guys too. I hope you can relate to me. Um, I, you know those nightmares you have when you're like naked at school or something and you're like, oh my gosh, for some reason, like you just like feel so exposed and so vulnerable and you're like in your dream and you're like, oh, that's so terrible. Like we have nakedness and shame are connected for us, right? Like even in my dreams. And I feel like afraid, but they are naked and unashamed. Like it is so good that they're naked and unashamed and that was God's original intention. So what can we take away here? Well, a theological vision for human relationships and sex. In the place where we learn about God's created goodness, he's creating everything, he says good, 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 we learn that God made human beings in his own image. He made the male and female. And the very existence of human relationship is good. Um, Sex, marriage, and fruitfulness are all God's created goodness. They are good. And this is a a theological vision of sex, is that it's good. So what falls under the umbrella of sexuality? Because sometimes when we think about sex and sexuality, we just think about the physical act of sex, but our sexuality is so much more than that. Um, We see in this creation story, we see sex. We see that displayed with Adam and Eve. We see sexual desire. We see that he's like singing this love song over her, like he desires her, so desire must be good. It's God's good and created thing. Um, Being engendered, that they're male and female. And there's this diversity and unity, so maleness is good and femaleness is good. They both exist and they're good. And there's this desire for connection and relationship. There's this desire for someone else. I'm 27 and single, like I'm not married, and part of my sexuality is a desire for connection and relationship with other humans. And it doesn't mean just a male that I marry. Like, but we, God created us as people to connect with other people. Um, they're embodied. Their bodies are good. They, he has created them with a limited space in a body, and his, those bodies are good. And they're made as image bearers. Like, they bear the image of the God who made them. And so I think as we talk about sexuality, we'll know, like, this is kind of what I'm thinking of. It's this rich and beautiful view of sexuality. It's not just the act of sex. Um, it certainly is part of it, but not the whole of it. Um... So why do Christians recognize the whole world, including bodies, physicality, and sexuality as good? 
because it has to do with the God who is good. He's good and he created us and he calls it good. Because God who is good made all that is, it reflects the goodness of God. And he created everything. He created material and spiritual, bodies and soul, and all of that goodness belongs to him. And he made it. Um, So what can we take away from this? Some points just to kind of recap for where we've been today, where we're heading. God created us with bodies, and those bodies are really good. Sex is part of creation. It's his thing. He created it, and it's good. We are created from a triune God, this God who's like in this perfect relationship, created us for relationships with each other. Male bodies are good, and female bodies are good. And sometimes that gets so messed up and twisted in our culture. And God made sex with boundaries to live within the context of a male and a female relationship in marriage for them to be united in one flesh. And God made us as good, embodied, and sexually differentiated creatures. And our sexuality is in the context of his original design and purposes for creation. Um, Sexuality is a good gift from God. It's not nasty or a dirty problem. Sex is something we can receive with delight, with gratitude to the one whose good creation it is. Sex is real, and it is good. And so that's kind of where we're going to land today. And I know all of us are thinking, but what about this? And I hope that we'll unpack some of that tomorrow when we talk about the fall. But I think we have to start here, that it really is good, and it's God's good creation. And he's the one who made it. Um, Does anyone have any questions? Anything? Probably You can also ask me after. I hope you talk to me after some of these things. You want me to flesh them out more. Thank you so much for coming. I'm really so glad you guys were here.